Blog Talk Radio. Indianapolis 500 qualifications is here, and uh, we're going to be breaking it down for the next 90 minutes or so, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll chime in on some NASCAR, but for the most part, today's show is dedicated to qualification weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We're also going to be talking some NBA at the, at the last part of the show, so NBA fans just kind of stick around, if you will, and Mo for the BS Sports gonna, show is going to be joining us. Big news coming out of the NBA, of course, the NBA Finals, Tyreek Evans also uh, suspended two years, uh, or kicked out of the NBA for two years. We'll see what happens uh, if he is able, ever able to uh, come back to the NBA. Big news breaking there uh, with that. Of course, the NHL, NHL uh, Stanley Cup finals going on, but I tell you what, I hate to minimize all of that, but n- there's nothing bigger than the Indianapolis 500 and joining us here in the in the balance green room we'll, in just a moment is Matthew Embry. He is out at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which I will be out there right immediately following this show. And Matthew and I We'll be out there all weekend and getting you ready for a field of 33. And that's very, very important because next weekend, next Saturday, is our annual show, the field of 33. So we're going to be talking about Matthew's uh, 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 Gritology as well. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. Don't go away. Things are about to pick up speed. No pun intended. Tonight. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. 
with over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. See the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Porklet, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Mike Wassell, President. It's a time to kick things off. It is qualified weekend out at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It, 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 in just a 24 short hours, we will have our field of 33. Joining us live from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, WSBT up in South Bend. How are you, sir? I tell you what, Tom, isn't this fun? I mean, this, uh, and uh, oh, certainly the weather's throwing us a curveball. Yeah, the weather's throwing right. us a curveball. We have the hottest conditions we've had all week, and uh, a big uh, element of unknown looking ahead tomorrow with an 80% chance of showers and thunderstorms. I think today is going to be a get it done day. If you don't get it done today, I think you're going home. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. Here, here, Here's the thing. I mean, we, we, we've seen some. Uh, a lot of stuff going on in practice this week, and we'll go and get into that in just a second. And we're going to get into these cars. Uh, but here's the thing. I mean, really, I don't care if you're Pinsky, I don't care if you're Ed Carpenter. It does not really matter about the size of your team or your budget. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway takes no favorites. 
you've got to get out there today and make it happen. Yesterday, we, we had a little bit of rain, then we had some rain rain the day before, but then we, yesterday we had some rain, then we had some really hot uh, track temperatures. I mean, this is Indianapolis. Uh, stick around. The weather's going to change. That's why when, it, when they just say, uh, you know, it's, it's going to happen. Well, let's, let's talk about a big, big, big storyline we saw earlier on this week, uh, midway this week, and that's Fernando Alonso hitting the, hitting the wall. I think that they're able to, to get the car fixed, but if not, they've got the backup car. But I tell you what, that may, maybe because of the name, maybe it is, but that was our biggest uh, news of the week. Fernando Alonso hits the wall at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Honestly, you look at Alonzo, and I, I'm starting to really wonder if McLaren underestimated just how tough of a monster this event is. Uh, they looked very lethargic during the open test in April, and it's just continued here. Even up to the crash, they looked lethargic here as well. Uh, they did just bring out the car, the backup car out for a shakedown run. I didn't see exactly what they did run on a simulated attempt, but uh, I think he gets in the field, but... Uh, it certainly is not uh, the contending challenge that we thought we would see from uh, the two-time world driving champion. Uh, it has been a struggle, and for his three uh, Carlin teammates, I think at least two of them possibly uh, maybe going home after this weekend. Well, we've seen uh, two wrecks this week, uh, at least notable wrecks. Uh, Award uh, hit, hit, uh, hits the wall yesterday. Uh, I believe, yeah, yeah, yesterday. Uh, <clears throat> of course, he's a rookie, P- Patricia Award. I not hurt, excuse me, uh, in the in the crash there uh, on the wall. But uh, what are what are your thoughts about Patricia Award? Award, I'm sorry, I'll get that right. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I tell we you, are Pato going to really get through this. Himself. Go ahead. Pato really hurt himself with that accident. I had him going at least maybe row seven or eight. Had he gotten in solidly and maybe been the top Carlin car of the bunch. Of the four they have here, including uh, Max Chilton and Charlie Kimball, that accident uh, I think has left him a little bit shell shocked, and uh, I have him as one of my last uh, four in to just to make the field. I think it's going to be a struggle for him to get in the field. I think it's going to be a struggle for Max Chilton to get into the field, and that's interesting considering Max Chilton led more laps than anyone here two years ago in the race and finished fourth. He's by no means safe, and uh, you mentioned Alonzo, and then obviously the accident involving Kyle Kaiser. Uh, now he's to a backup car. It's essentially a road course car and trying to make the field with that. So uh, it's certainly becoming a survival of the fittest uh, as far as drivers uh, having to, you know, scramble just to make the field of 33 today. Well, let's get into your gridatology on, on your uh, field of 33. Obviously we're going to have at least uh, from 10 down uh, tomorrow's a big day. We'll get into that a little bit later, uh, but and tomorrow's a big day. Uh, we'll have our, our field of 33. Our, we have our annual special that we've been doing for years here, and that is the, the, the field of 33 uh, next Saturday. Let's do your gridatology real quick. Break it down for us uh, car by car uh, as we get into qualification weekend, and then we're going to start uh, getting into the nuts and bolts of everything of what's going to happen today at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Well, I've Gone with Will Power from day one is my number one on gridatology. I'm sticking with him throughout here, even though he was not fast on Fast Friday. I still think he's got a serious chance, as is teammate Simon Pagano. 
and uh, Ed Carpenter got the early draw. I think that's enough to move him to the outside of the front row, potentially. Uh, right behind him, his teammate Piggott also got an early draw, so Spencer's going to be a threat. Rossi, Alexander Rossi got an early draw. I think that's going to be the story right now. Until you can get the car centered around what the warmer conditions, I think the first runs could be the fastest runs for everybody. Uh, Joseph Newgarden's on row two, then row three. Ed Jones, uh, he had the fastest no-toe time. He only got to go over 230 on his own, but he has a late draw in the initial qualifying line, so I don't know how much he's going to get hurt. Uh, Elio at eight, Dixon at nine. And then if we do have a session, again, it's a long shot, but we do have a shootout session. I have Borday, Sato, Marco Andretti just missing. Uh, Colton Hurd is on that list. Ryan Hunter-Ray, TK, Hinch. Uh, it's close, but the thing is, I think right now uh, you look at those, and uh, I think if you're talking about guys that are making moves up the list, uh, Connor Daly, I have him all the way up to 18. Of course, he was the fastest yesterday. He is the first car out today. Whether or not that gets him all the way there, I don't know. Uh, Rosenquist with his crash is dropping in my list. He have him now down to 19. Uh for instance, I have Ferrucci now moving up to 22. I had Alonzo at 26. And as far as around that cut line, um, <clears throat> I think Marcus Erickson's in a much safer spot. And believe it or not, I think that Pippa Mann has enough, considering what's happened with the opposition around her. I think she will get in the field after last year's qualifying failure. I think she will surprise some people today. And then uh, you talk about Chilton and Old Ward. Can they get in or not? Uh, that's a big question in my mind. And then my three out, uh, Jordan King with Rayal Letterman, uh, Kyle Kaiser with Yunkos, and Ben Hanley with Dragon Speed. And true to form, the majority of laps in this morning war session have been those three guys. So that clearly tells you they're feeling the pressure right now as to whether or not they can find a speed to get in today. Well, that's exactly right. I was just getting ready to uh, talk with you a little bit. I know you're out there in the track, so you know what's going on. Uh, but Fernando Alonso, uh, you got Jordan King, uh, Kyle Kaiser, Ben Hanley, and Patricia Award all uh, clocking some fast speeds there at the track. Uh, talk with us a little bit about Into what's not – because we know we have a lot of, of – uh, people that listen to our show regularly that aren't necessarily uh, race fans or or novice race fans if you will we talk about speeds in tow and and we um we saw connor daly yesterday having some really good speeds in tow uh talk with us a little bit when we hear that what does that mean and first of all and, and that's what we mean when we talk about going out there and playing around in the draft which, which sometimes is helpful to to build up your speed numbers, but uh, we, when you talk about the in tow speed, uh, what does that mean? What does that mean as far as qualification goes? And it, how can a driver use that in tow speed to their advantage? Well, obviously, it means more in the race. Obviously, try to make moves and overtake, but it is an Achilles heel in qualifying because it, it does not give you a clear view necessarily as far as how well you're going to do because remember unlike in nascar where they have group qualifying and these are single car four lap runs for the indy cars so you're on your own you do not have anyone else on the track where you can suck up on and you know get a draft off of so you make your own momentum and obviously well it was great for connor daly to have the fastest lap yesterday 
it may not mean a whole lot, if anything, because I think his fastest non-tow time was like four or five miles an hour off of that. So we'll see how it plays out. But, again, uh, I mean, getting used to, you know, race simulations, that's part of what the action was uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. But on Friday, if you're looking for qualifying speed, uh, that's not the way to do it. All right, let's go through the entry list here of the 2019 uh list and uh, i'm going to put you in charge let you take the lead let's go through the entire entry list qualifications obviously uh we don't know where they're going to get a qualification draw at and we'll get into the to their particular aspects in a moment but we have uh how many drivers who are they who are they associated with and what are we looking for today at the track well obviously the head of the line, obviously going by number, that would be Joseph Newgarden in car two. That's the Shell V Power Special. That's one of the Team Penske cars. Uh, locked to make the field, no question. Probably will be in the first three rows. Uh, same goes with Edo Castroneves. Uh, Mateus Lace with A.J. Foyt Racing. Uh, a little further down the list, but I think he is solidly in, I'd say, around probably row seven or eight. And then uh, Hinchcliffe, uh, the Aero Electronics Special for Schmidt-Peterson uh, Aero. Uh, I have him right now at row six or seven right now. Uh, the question in my mind right now with the Schmidt team, one of them is Marcus Erickson. I think now with what's happened to some of the other contenders, he's in a safer spot, but I still think he's got work to do to make sure he gets in. I think I have him at row 10 right now. Uh, Dixon, obviously the Iceman with Chip Ganassi. I think he's in a solid position, but I just don't think he and the Honda power plant have enough to challenge the Chevys at this point. Uh, Rosenquist, the crash, I think, hurt him. I think if not for that crash, I think I had him possibly being a shootout qualifier in the top nine, and now he's struggling just to make the field. I think mid-pack at best now for this man from Sweden. And uh, you look further down the list, Power, uh, Will Power Team Penske, I think he, this is his time to get a pole. Uh, the question is, though, can he get the good conditions uh, with his late draw in the qualifying line? That's the only question I have. TK uh, with Foyt, again, not as competitive as last year, but he does have the early draw, which I think will help him. Uh, Graham Rahal certainly could be a contender uh, based on what we've seen from uh, Takuma Sato. Uh, does it transfer over to Rahal? Is not known as a good qualifier. We'll see. And uh, Board A, I think, maybe is the best hope for Honda, potentially, with Dale Coyne. Uh, the rookie, Santino Ferrucci, uh, Big Mouth. A lot of bark, maybe not so much bite, but uh, I think he'll solidly get in around row eight or nine. Carpenter's got a shot to get the pull again. Uh, the owner driver, uh, Indianapolis, gets the majority of the cheers on qualifying day. Uh, I don't think anyone's ever won two sets of poles back-to-back in their career, and he would obviously uh, tie Rex Mays for the most poles uh, by a non-Indy 500 winner if he were to get his fourth today. Piggott's certainly an X-Factor, the X-Indy Lights champion. Uh, looking, you know, another one of the uh, three from uh, Ed Carpenter. And uh, Kimball, I think right now, there's not much as far as Carlin. If you're looking for someone that actually may have a chance with Carlin, probably Charlie Kimball has that chance to do it. Uh, Sage Karam looked a little shell-shocked coming into Friday, but I think he now is safely in with the Dryer and Reinbold. Connor Daly. Uh, the question is that toe speed that he posted, how legit is it? Uh, that's the thing. Uh, he'll be the first out to probably get the best conditions of anybody, but does that mean a whole lot? Uh, hard to say. Uh, 
but I think he is certainly a guy that is rising up the list. I had him like in row 10, 11 with the month start, and I have him maybe row six possibly, which is a lot better than he was at. Zach Veach was another one I had that was in a little bit of the danger zone with Andretti Autosport, but I think he safely gets in. Uh, if Andretti Autosport, I think, has a threat to win the poll, Alexander Rossi is probably the 27, is probably the best chance to do that for them. Ryan Hunter Ray, I think you'll see more from him on race day. Another one of the Andretti cars, uh, not known as a strong qualifier. Uh, Sato's got the aggression. Uh, the second of the rail Letterman landing cars, as evidenced by the fact he qualified fourth, won the race in 2017. Uh, can he keep it under him for four laps, though, with a late draw? That's the only thing that's, in my mind, I think he's going to be second to last to go in the initial line, which does not help his case. Uh, you talked about awards crash. Uh, can he bounce back from that to get in? Carlin's not looking so good. So I think Pato's going to have a test. And the same goes for Kyle Kaiser. Uh, no sponsor. Uh, team's trying to run an IndyCar program alongside an IMSA sports car program, which I don't think is the most effective way to run a program. But what do I know? And then uh, you have uh, James Davison now with Coin this year. I think he solidly gets in, no problem. He's, of course, the guy that skateboards uh, into the uh, pit area. So if you're looking for a guy that's on skateboard, that's Mr. <laughs> Davidson. <laughs> yeah, we kept saying that. I kept asking him, is that Yeah, legal? we laughed about that last legal? year. That was funny. I, what is I really know, a skateboard? I, I it's one say, of those scooters got... that it, – it's not really a skateboard. It's one of those scooters that they that, – you know, you see downtown Indy. They, it's not a skateboard, but it's a scooter type thing. But, yeah. And, like a, yeah, like I said, Tom, laugh all you want, but I think with what's happened to the other contenders on that cut line, I think Pippa Mann and Clausen Marshall find a way to get in the field. Uh, I didn't think well, it was possible coming in, but just what's happened to, you know, Hanley and some of these other contenders on that cut line and then the guys that have fallen because of accidents, if she keeps her nose clean, runs four solid laps, I think in the 226s, she's in. Well, it's qualification weekend down at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Four turns. We're in the Oval down at 16th in Georgetown. Matthew, real quickly, I ask you this question every year. So by tradition, Walk us through the four corners of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Well, infamously, obviously, turn one's the toughest because it's a blind corner because of all the buildings on both sides of the track and the grandstands. So getting the entry right there is key because that makes the whole lap. Uh, Turn two with the sweeps there is probably the easiest turn because that's probably because of the shade there. You can get a little more grip as opposed to the other four corners on the track, and it's key getting all the speed down the backstretch. Three is a little more wide open, but there is a little bit of a few bumps on the inside. I think it's caused guys trouble. Uh, obviously, it certainly caught uh, to Fernando on uh, Wednesday. And then uh, getting off of turn four is uh, super critical because that sets up all your speed down that front straightaway. So uh, if there is a play, you have to get them all right. And the thing that makes it also tough is you got to do it four times and all four laps count. You just can't throw one away. So uh, looking from that standpoint, uh, I don't think you will have four tougher laps the entire season. And I've said that before, and I will always stick to it, that you will not see four more pressure-packed laps than what they will face today and potentially tomorrow. 
We're talking with Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, been around with us for uh, a few years, and we always hang out at the track together, We're, and I'll be out there. You're down there live at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway right now, <clears throat> and it's, we can hear the cars go by, and that is so freaking awesome. As soon as this show's over, I am headed down there as well. We will meet up, and we'll uh, we will uh, – uh, Check out what's going on at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It's going to be a great weekend and then a great week. I'm going to be out there all week, uh, all week long. I'll be out at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and then, of course, uh, the race. Matthew, let's go through these stables, uh, uh, if you will. And excuse my voice, I am fighting something. I don't know what it is, but we're gonna we're gonna get through this. So, so let's start with the legend, AJ Foyt. Uh, AJ Foyt Enterprises, obviously, AJ Foyt. I have not seen him out at the track yet. This my my guess is that he's there, uh, and we'll see him later on today or this weekend. But AJ Foyt Enterprises, obviously AJ, his son is now AJ Junior, is pretty much the uh, uh, heir apparent to the throne, if you will. But AJ Foyt Enterprises, uh, we got Matthew Les, of course, there is Chevrolet. Stable, uh, Matthew uh, Lease and Tony Kanan. Tony Kanan, not a good showing at the GP, but that does not necessarily mean anything. GK, obviously former uh, champion at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. What are your thoughts? AJ Foyt Enterprises, Matthew Lease and Tony Kanan, both in the number four Chevrolet and the 14 Chevrolet. Well, I thought with the aggression, Lease is going to be further up with the Chevrolet power, but it hasn't worked out that way. He hasn't made... Uh, Actually, if anything, I think he's been a little more too conservative for his own good, and I think you've seen that on the time charts. TK's got a shot. If he can take advantage of that early draw, certainly I think he could go higher than where I have him currently on Gritatology at number 15, and uh, top nine's a possibility, but uh, I think they need to up their game. Uh, they have they are not the same team they were uh, at 16th in Georgetown a year ago. They are not the same kind of threat where if not for a flat tire, TK could have won the thing. Uh, if you look ahead to next week, I don't see that possibility happening uh, for TK or for Lace at this point. Let's go with Andretti Autosports. I mean, uh, we've got Connor Daly, well, as we talked about earlier, uh, yesterday, yesterday was doing really fast in the tow. And then, uh, and of course, there were Honda shop in the number 25, Honda Zach Veach, and the 26 Honda. you got Alexander Rossi. Again, uh, we didn't see Andretti at all in uh, the uh, GP race as far as qualifying goes. So hopefully they've got things turned around. Ryan Hunter Ray in the number 28 Honda. Honda and, of course, uh, the the uh, heir apparent to the throne, Marco Andretti, uh, number 98 Honda, um, which, by the way, we should point out has uh, – it's with him, it's Andretti Herda Autosports just to – Make sure we dot all of our I's and cross our T's. But Andretti, out of sports, 2019 Indianapolis Motor Speedway. What are your thoughts? Today, I think it's all about Rossi. I think he's the one guy that I think can get there for Andretti out of sport with the early draw, and I think the pace that he has shown. Uh, again, uh, Hunter Ray's not known as a strong qualifier. Marco's okay, but I wouldn't call him one of the top uh, dogs in terms of qualifying pace. And... Uh, you look at uh, Beach, I think his situation is better than it was coming in. I think the same goes for Connor Daly. They should easily both make it in. Uh, and then you look at uh, Colton Herta. I actually thought Colton Herta had a chance for the top nine, and then came the qualifying draw last night. And if, I don't know if you heard, but 
he drew the last pill out of the bag. So he will be, of the 36, he will be 36th out in the initial line, which I'd say is going to be a big disadvantage. All right, let's move on over to Errol Schmidt Peterson Motorsports. Obviously, that's uh, the home of James Hinchcliffe, the mayor of Hinchtown, uh, one of my favorite drivers and friend. I consider him a personal friend. I, I like him a lot. Last year, got bumped from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Not trying to, to add salt to a wound, not at all. But James Hinchcliffe has not looked good in practice this year. Uh, obviously, he's in the number five Honda. And then you've got Marcus Erickson, and he's the rookie in the number seven Honda. Uh, coming in for, for Wickens, as we know. And we saw him out at the track last week. Uh, very good to see him up and around. Hopefully, he gets back in a car soon. And a guy that we always like to talk about, and that's Oreo Servio in the number 77 Honda. And we to dot our I's across her T's. Uh, he's also with Team Strange Racing. Uh, go ahead, uh, Matthew. Actually, I think uh, Hitchcliffe is in the best position. I'd say it's his three teammates who I think are in the sweat and bulls today. Um, Hitchcliffe, I have him in row six. I think he now realizes he's got to give it a little bit more than he did the last time last year when he did because you may only get one shot. It depends on how the weather plays out today. And uh, as far as condition-wise, you may only get one chance. And obviously, the vibration last year you can't control. So when you get a chance to qualify, you've got to take advantage of it. And Hinch didn't do it last year, and he paid the price for it. Uh, you look at the rest of the team there, I think Servia is probably going to be the next in line, probably around row seven or eight maybe. I think Har- it's going to be a struggle for Harvey. Uh, even though, yes, he finished third at uh, the IndyCar Grand Prix, this is an oval, and this is the only oval he runs during the season, and he just looks lost on the ovals. He has the last two years. That's why he's crashed out of the first two Indy 500s he's entered, and it's going to be a struggle for him again just to make the show, and I think you could say the same thing about the rookie Marcus Erickson. And uh, so I think, unfortunately, uh, Schmidt Pearson, they are hoping to avoid uh, qualification dramas. Uh, I think all four of their cars will get in, but uh, it will be a fight for them to get all their cars in the field. All right, let's talk about what I like to – I don't like to say low-budget teams because nobody likes to be labeled as a low-budget team. But let's talk about a low-budget team. Let's take Team Carl and Charlie Campbell. Uh, obviously, they're a Chevy uh, shop. They're Charlie Campbell, the number 23. Uh, we talked about award a couple times already today. Um, the rookie there in the number 31 Chevrolet and Max Chilton in the number 59 Chevrolet. And we can include Alonzo in that because technically that is a Carlin car, that McLaren entry. Touché. They've been the disappointment of the week, no question. Uh, other than uh, Charlie Kimball, who, speak of the devil, has the fewest number of races for that team this year besides Alonzo, uh, I'd say he's the only one who I'd say I could comfortably say will make the field today. Uh, I think it's going to be a fight for award with the backup car. I think it's going to be a fight for Alonzo with the backup car. And hard to believe after he looked so good and almost won the race two years ago how Max Chilton looks so, sort of gun-shy. Um, it's not that I think he's not lost confidence, but it just seems like he can't get that well out of the car what he thinks he can get. And it, what's even worse about it is they have Chevrolet engines, which is supposedly the stronger of the two engines here at Indy, and they can't uh, – put uh, two and two together instead of getting four they get uh, 98 or something so uh, 
Other than Kimball, uh, it's going to be a rough day, I'd say, for uh, Trevor Carlin Company, uh, just trying to get uh, all four cars in. And I think they will just barely do it if they do. But, again, uh, it may come down to the last uh, qualification run as to whether or not uh, all four of their cars get in. We're talking with Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. Matthew's alive down at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I'll be joining him right after this show as I'm just a few miles away from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I'll be headed down there, parking in the media lot, uh, getting my stuff uh, situated up in the media center, and then meeting up with Matthew. And Matthew and I will be doing some Facebook Live stuff. Last week, uh, uh, Matthew... It was one for the chipper, if you will, at the start of the GP uh, qualifying, both one and two, Scott Dixon and Felix Rosenfest, rookie. Obviously, that's a Honda shop. Number nine, Honda. Number 10, Honda. What are we going to see again here? We got this at Oval. Obviously, we saw uh, Scott Dixon do a a come in second, uh, which is seems to be put a cot down for him that seems to be what he knows uh, for the jp race uh but chip ganassi racing uh bode well and has bode well here in indianapolis this month uh rosen uh felix rokenfest's car caught on fire has some challenges although he was the pole setter but i tell you what i am excited about chip ganassi in 2019 Problem is, he's got the wrong engine. If he was still had a Chevrolet when they were getting pulls, I'd feel a lot more confident about their chances uh, getting P1 today. But uh, they have the wrong engine. I think as much I, you'll see Dixon go for it, but I just don't think he's going to have enough to get all the way to position one. He might get to maybe the first three rows, but I think that's the best you're going to get from the Iceman. And then Rosenquist, uh, the crash just certainly hurt him. Um, he's had to go back to square one a little bit. And while I think he'll be in, he will be much further down the starting order than I think he would have been. I think if not for that crash, I think he was a definite top nine uh, contender alongside his teammate, Scott Dixon. Well, I'll tell you what, it's going to be exciting to see how, the, how well they do. Um, we, we now are going to move into another, uh, I kind of want to get the side story behind this because we talked about Pippa Man, and this is Clawson Marshall Racy. Obviously, Clawson is uh, the father of Brian Clawson, uh, who died uh, a few years back in a racing accident. And, and, you know, we saw him race at the Indianapolis 500. We, we've known him in the, in the USAC. We knew him in the USAC, and was, he lost his life tragically in an accident. But Brian Clawson's father has now moved on and to uh, own his own team is starting to uh, move things around. This is the first time we've seen Clawson Marshall racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and their drivers, Pippa Man. Now, of course, this is one of those, those things where the Indianapolis 500 can take you a long way. And a lot of people, what, well, is it because of the money? No, it's because of the notoriety. If, you know, if we could if we want to talk about the purse a little bit, the purse for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway kind of sucks. I mean, in retrospect, it's been about the same for about 10 years. And uh, Robin Miller has a good take on this. He's like, hey, uh, uh, IMS, uh, take some of the sponsor money that you're doing and chuck it into the purse. Maybe that may, maybe that'll make it more attractive to other drivers. And that, that's another hot take for another conversation. But nonetheless, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is, uh, 500. I'm sorry, the Indy 500 is not about is not about the purse. 
It's about the notoriety. It's the greatest race in the world. And if you can place in the top 10, you have a shot at getting some real sponsorship, which is what I think that we're, we're seeing happening here with Clawson Marshall. Uh, but also with Clawson Marshall, it's, it's, it's to honor his son. It's also Pippa Man runs every year. She has a great foundation. She has a great ability to raise money. I don't want to go hot take on her because she's a good driver, but she's not – I would say she's not the great she's, – she's not equipped. Put it, let me put it that way. She's not able to run a full IndyCar schedule. If she was, she would have been picked up by another team by now. So we got Clawson Marshall, Pippa Man. This is a good feel-good story. We like feel-good stories with the Indianapolis 500. This is one of those, as you said, she has a good shot of making the field. We saw her do well. We we have followed her together over the years. Uh, but Pippa Man, Clawson Marshall Racing, it's a good feel-good story. It's a good, hey, under underdog story. But I think that's about as far as it goes, Matthew. Getting them in the field, I'd say, would be a personal victory. Uh, I really thought they were in over their head. You know, limited technical support from another team. This is a team that runs in USAC dirt car racing and the midgets and sprints. They have never seen anything like an asphalt track, 200 miles an hour, anything like that. I thought they were just, they were biting off more than they could chew. But they've kept their nose clean. They have done decent work they haven't been overly impressive they're the top of the charts but they have done enough to stay off the bottom of the charts and add to that they are avoiding the problems that other teams are facing this week and i think that is enough to get them in at the expense of some of these other teams that on paper have a better resume and a better case to make the field but because of their own shortcomings and stubbing their toes and shooting themselves in the foot Pippa may get in at their expense. Well, you know, uh, speaking of Pippa, I mean, Dale Coyne uh, Racing has a long history with Pippa. Obviously, that doesn't have him for this year, but it has a long history with uh, with Pippa and thinks a lot about her. And I, I like her as well. I've talked to her many times. She came up through the Indy Lights with James Hinchcliffe. And, and so certainly uh, I wish Pippa the best, but I, I'm with you. Let's talk about Dale Coin Racing, Sebastian Bourdais. They're a Honda shop uh, in the number 18 Honda. Uh, Ferrucci, a rookie, number 19 Honda. And then James Davidson, number uh, 33 Honda. What are your thoughts, DCR? Well, Bordet's the threat for, you know, the best qualifying run. I think he has the tweaks uh, with Craig Hampton that uh, the other two drivers, Ferrucci and Davison, will not have the luxury of having. Ferrucci's done okay considering his lack of oval experience. I think the overconfidence and the cockiness that he shows, I think it sometimes gets him into more trouble than good. But so far, it's not hurt him too badly this month, so he should be in better again than I thought he would initially do. Davison... Always seems to get the most out of qualifying, even when it's marginal equipment. Now, granted, I don't think he's going to out-qualify Bourdais, but I think he could easily qualify out by Ferrucci, and that would probably put him in the mid part of the field. And uh, considering he only runs Indy, we've seen over the years, even when he replaced a Sebastian Bourdais a couple years ago, he had a chance to win that race. So he certainly has the the ability and the potential to get there. The question is, can the car get him there? I think that's the only question with uh, Davison as far as what he could do today. 
This next uh, uh, stable, I think, missed an opportunity of, of of pairing and marketing with the HBO and Game of Thrones. Dragon Speed is back. Ben Haley, the rookie, the number eighty-one Chevrolet. How awesome would it be to see a Game of Thrones car at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? Just saying. Go ahead, man. Very ambitious program that Elton Julian has put together. Uh, for those of you that do not know who Elton Julian is, he was at one time an American prospect for Formula One. Unfortunately, things didn't work out there. He went to team ownership and has put together a very solid program uh, in the European and World uh, Sports Car Championships and in IMSA and is trying to turn that into something good for IndyCar. Uh, hasn't worked out. This is their first ever oval race with a driver in Ben Hanley that has very limited open wheel experience. I think it showed this week. And again, I think it would be a personal victory just as much for, as it would be for Klaus Marshall. If dragon speed were finding a way to get in the field, I don't think they're going to do it today, but say the weather holds off tomorrow. Maybe they find a little bit more, maybe they'll sneak their way in, in the last qualifying. But, uh, if you're going by prospects today, I think it's a long shot at best for Hanley to make the cut at this point. We're talking with Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, WSBT up in South Bend, and is live at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, Matthew, let's talk a little bit about Dreyer and Ryan Boulder Racing. Obviously, last year they uh, they uh, housed uh, Danica Patrick, but this year, Sid Karam and J.R. Hillebrand, uh, both in the Chevys in the 24 and 48, Sage in the 24, and J.R. Hillebrand in the 48. Uh, correct you first off, but Danica was with Ed, Ed Carpenter's team, not with uh, Dreyer. You're right. My fault. But, uh, Slay me, Dreyer, all right? Uh, Slay me. This was a team oh, that, shame. again, made me a little bit nervous with the deeper field. Uh, this is a team that does not focus on qualifying like some of the other teams, even though they have the Chevrolet power plant. I thought that might catch them off guard. Uh, and like I said, Sage Karam looked a little self-shocked. It looks like he's back in the mode as far as today goes, along with Hildebrand. But, uh, you know, if they have a little bad luck on their qualifying runs, uh, they certainly could put themselves in danger. By no means are, I'd say, locks to make the field, but uh, they should be in the field. But the question is, do they, you know, eat their spinach and get the job done and put all the pieces together when it counts? That's the key thing with these four-lap runs is, there are so many little integral details that can ruin the whole of uh, the ruin the whole run that you have to keep your eye on and keep focus on. I mean, it's not just driving the car; it's adjusting the roll bars, it's adjusting you know the gearing to make sure you have the proper gearing to be able to get the maximum out of the engine and the car. I mean, there's a lot of things going on in the cockpit, and while the car they just see the cars going around, they have the 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 new fan doesn't necessarily realize just how much work the driver is doing during that entire run. Ed Carpenter Racing, one of my favorite hometown boys. Uh, and uh, certainly he's, he's known to get on the pole. He knows how to get on the pole there. Obviously, Ed Carpenter in the number 20 Chevrolet, Spencer Pickett in the number 21 Chevrolet, and Ed Jones uh, in the number 63 Chevrolet. Also, daughter Isaac Crosswood, Ed Carpenter Racing, uh, Sergio Corsa racing as well. They certainly have a chance to get the job done against Team Penske. Um, early draw for Carpenter, I think, will help. The early draw for Piggott will help him. Jones uh, 
has the mid-pack draw as far as the initial line, but he does have the fastest uh, lap without a toe yesterday, and the only man to go over 230 on his own. So whether that equates to, you know, these warmer conditions, we'll see. But uh, if there is a team that I think that could knock Penske off of the pole, a guy like Power or Pagano, uh, Carpenter, Piggott, uh, Jones certainly could do it. Talking about the fil- getting ready for the Field of Three. Next week, we will have our annual special, the Field of 33, and we will literally break down all 33 cars of the 103rd running of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Harding Steinberger Racing, obviously. Um, who's this guy, this rookie that, oh, yeah, that's right, Colton Herta, number 88 Honda. Like this kid like him a lot let's look for him to do some good things today and tomorrow and for those of you that are new to indycar racing and have heard the name steinbrenner yes this is the grandson of the late yankees owner george steinbrenner the fourth however unlike uh, his grandfather decided to go the racing route uh has run a team in the indy lights division won the championship last year with herda they made the move up with andretti support and uh, then they managed to win uh, Circuit of Americas early this year. And uh, they certainly have made uh, a good name for themselves uh, this week. The only thing that's bad for them, like I mentioned earlier, when we talked about Andretti, he'll be the last car out to go in the initial qualifying draw. So he certainly, I think, is going to face a handicap as far as the conditions not being ideal as against some of the other cars that run at, that have an earlier draw. Junko's Racing, uh, Kyle Kaiser and the number 32 Chevrolet. That crash, I think, killed them. Uh, Granted, I still think they have a shot to put the thing together. I mean, Kaiser ran 225. I don't know what that's going to equate to when he gets to qualifying mode. But, again, he also has a late draw as well, so this won't be ideal for him either. Uh, Again, uh, Kaiser was his own worst enemy here. I I had him just barely sneaking in, and since the crash happened, I have him barely missing. So uh, take it uh, as you leave it right now, but that's why you just you got to stay out of trouble and not make mistakes, and unfortunately, uh, it certainly caught him out uh, with that accident and certainly uh, has uh, diminished his chances of making the show. The richest guy in the field, the richest driver, is obviously Fernando Alonso, uh, McLaren, and the number 66 Chevrolet. He's Fernando Alonso. We're never going to rule him out, but uh, hopefully they got their car repaired and they don't have to use the backup car. I have not heard the details yet, uh, but today they are today, on the backup they, car. Oh, they are on the backup car. Thank you for that clarification. Okay. Well, that makes things even more difficult. How big of a story? I mean, because here's what we talked about last year with James Hinscliffe, but they don't have another car. They don't have another – so they don't have anywhere else to go. If they can't qualify this car, he's not in. That's a big story. And this car – Add to that, they had to make a big change on it because this car was intended to be the backup car for Max Chilton, the Carlin satellite driver. So instead of, you know, Chilton now giving up his backup car to help out Alonzo, that's hurt Chilton's chances as well to where he's going to fight to make the show. And uh, But uh, like I said, I think uh, Zach Brown and McLaren, uh, I think you're going to take a more serious look and a more serious uh, employ as far as getting ready for the Indy 500, because I think they certainly underestimated how tough it was going to be on their own, and uh, they paid the price for it this month. 
one of my favorite stables as a fan uh, for what they do for the veterans and certainly one of my, my favorite, just my favorite uh, people to watch. Um, outside of James Hitchcliffe as a fan, my favorite driver is Graham Ray Hall. So we'll look at, let's talk about Ray Hall, uh, Leatherman Lagan Racing, Graham Ray Hall in the number 15 Honda, Tomoko Soto in the number 30 Honda, and their rookie, Jordan King in the number 42 Honda. And it's important to, to point out what they do do for the veterans. And uh, money between them and United Rentals are going to uh, turn for the troops and, and uh, various different veterans organizations we talked about uh, last week. And, and certainly a lot of things they do for the veterans are very, very uh, to be commended for and uh, applauded for. So uh, e- even if they don't win the race, if they all three of those guys can can complete the race unwrecked and unfinished, there's going to be a lot of money going to the veterans. And go to RayHallLetterManRacing.com and find out how you can get involved in donating to the veterans. I love this organization for what they do for the veterans. All of that aside, uh, what are your thoughts about uh, Ray Hall Letterman Legging Racing? If you're going to have any dramas or anybody making a challenge, uh, the guy that's going to do it, I think, is going to be Sato. Uh, Takazan has been very quick uh, in the Mopin test and all this week. Uh, had the second fastest run uh, yesterday, but again, that was with the draft. So uh, how good that run really was. Uh, the question is, though, is how much of a handicap is having the Honda engine? Uh, I Once again, I thought Honda was a lot closer to Chevrolet this year. It hasn't worked out that way. At least numbers say that's how it's going to play out. But maybe they find something with these warmer conditions and possibly get Sato further up. Ray Hall's in the field solidly. I think that's about all you can say about Ray Hall at this point. He just has never figured out this four-lap qualifying program to be able to exploit it to the full. And uh, Jordan King, uh, he's certainly going to be sweating bullets all day. Uh, I think uh, it's – coin flip as to whether or not he makes this feel or not at this point. You know, Graham, again, my, my second favorite driver. So I follow him and his club quite extensively. Graham Rahal, to say the least, was pissed off yesterday. <laughs> a lot of it because of the weather. And a lot of what you said is like, I mean, I mean, earlier on in, in this month, he felt like he had a good car. He felt like he said, honestly, and they quote him, he's like, I think, this is the year we could do it. If we can't do, the, do it this year, I don't know if we can ever do it. He was extremely pissed off uh, with practice yesterday, with weather yesterday. Uh, Graham Rahal, to say the least, is one of the most passionate drivers out there. What do you think, talking about yesterday specifically, I don't know if you watched uh, – Fast Friday or listen to it, but um, it was not a good day for Graham. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Well, the thing is, though, everyone's got to deal with the weather thing. So it's just how you handle it as the way that uh, whether you're successful. Or not. And I think uh, the way that Graham reacted, I got to say, concerns me a little bit. I think that's not the attitude you want to have coming into a qualifying session. Uh, I mean, you got to realize that. It's a handicap for you, but it's a handicap for everyone else in the field, and they got to get used to it, and it's how you use that and whether or not you can use this as an advantage and see if you can find something that may help you out as opposed to the others instead of looking at the negatives. And I think looking at the negatives is too narrow-minded. At least that's not what I would have done if I was if I was uh, Graham's father, Bobby. I'd be telling him, hey, 
everyone else has to deal with this same kind of condition. See what you can do to make this an advantage for yourself instead of trying to make it a huge uh, mountain for you to climb. So if we talk about David and Goliath, Goliath would be Team Team Penske. Team Penske, obviously yes. Joseph Newgar, uh Chevrolet uh, shop, and then the number uh, two uh, Chevrolet, Elio Castanevis, and the number three Chevrolet, Will Power, defending champion of the Indianapolis 500, the 102nd running, and, and Simon uh, Patajon, uh, obviously winner. Wow, what a huge win that was for him last week. Uh, we could talk a little bit about that win. Uh, but, man, he took some advantage. It, it goes to prove that Team Penske has the best of the best of the best of the best. Uh, Simon Panajan obviously wins last, last week in the GP in the rain and the number two Chevrolet. But in all, in all fairness, we didn't really see much of them in qualification at the GP. So uh, I'm sure that will change this weekend. But uh, what are your thoughts, Team Penske? He'll qualify well, Pagano. He will not race well. Uh, that's the thing. He just can't get to the finish of these 500-milers, and that's been his Achilles heel. I think he can be a contender, but can he get to the finish uh, without uh, stubbing his toes? Uh, I think uh, you look at uh, power. He certainly knows what it takes now to win, having won the race. Uh, Elio certainly does, if he's, even if he's not going to qualify as well as the other three. I mean, he's won it three times. You just don't win this race three times because you're lucky. Newgarden's the one I think it's got to impress me. Uh, he's, the opportunity is there. He has the equipment there to get the job done. He now needs to go out and do it. And I'm still not totally convinced that he can get the job done at a stage. Now, granted, he won an IndyCar championship, but uh, for Indy, it takes a whole – you have to look at it as a completely t- whole separate season from the rest of the IndyCar season and as one big championship to get. And whether or not uh, Joseph can get that or not, uh, who's to say? But uh, I think he still has a lot to prove uh, before he is able to uh, drink that uh, bottle of milk, milk in Victory Lane uh, next weekend. Well, absolutely. And how excited – I don't care who the winner is. I mean, I don't. I, I mean, there are drivers I root for, but – I, I, I just love seeing that victory lane celebration and being a part of that. It, it is pretty awesome. Got a few more minutes and we're going to get into a little bit of NASCAR and we'll get back to the IndyCar uh, and then uh, we'll uh, let you go and then we'll uh, do some NBA talk and then I'll be headed out to the track. Fast Friday was yesterday, Matthew. Uh, obviously, uh, Indianapolis picked its winners. <laughs> Indianapolis, so much that could change between Friday and Sunday. Uh, Fast Friday preparing for Saturday's Indianapolis 500 qualifying provided up plenty of challenges for even the most experienced drivers as um, the universal aerial package, track temperatures, and, tra- and traffic combined to leave plenty of scra- scratching their heads. What are your takeaways from Fast Friday yesterday? Well, I think ECR certainly is a threat. Penske's a threat. Uh, the question is, can any of the Hondas challenge I think that's the one uh, thing that I have in my mind is, does Honda have anybody in their camp that can challenge either the Penske Chevys or the ECR Chevys? I thought coming into the month that that was going to be either Rossi, Dixon, or Bourdais, and it still could be, but I think their challenge uh, is as uh, uphill a battle as it was uh, 12 months ago. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought, I thought you were going to say something else. You know, we, we talked about earlier about Connor Daly. I, I like Connor Daly. I do. I, I really do. And um, he's just 
uh, he's a, he's a hometown guy from Noblesville in the, in the suburbs, north suburbs of Indianapolis. Um, certainly a fan favorite. Certainly he's he's done uh, other things with the Amazing Race, and but he just has not been able to. I don't know. He's tried NASCAR. He's tried IndyCar. I know he's got it in his blood. I know he has the drive and the ambition. And he grabbed the headlines uh, late yesterday uh, with a lap to, with a lap of two thirty one point seven zero four miles per hour. But in his no, I'm sorry, in his no toe speed, only good enough for twenty second overall. It's similar. It's a similar day for Ryan Hunter Ray as well. So very frustrating though for Connor Daly and Ryan Hunter Ray. What are your thoughts? I mean, we talked a little bit about Ryan Hunter Ray, but uh, Connor Daly, for all intents and purposes, is making a cameo appearance uh, for a car for the Air Force to get into the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to have a driver to make uh, to make a wrong a right to right a wrong, if you will, uh, from last year. And, and, and this might just be, hey, we owe you one. You're going to get in the race. Here you go. But Connor Daly, if he could go out there and do something good. He, he he might get a chance to earn a ride. Today is the make or break chance for Connor Daly. He has the car capable of getting him there, and he is the first one out, which means he'll have better conditions than anyone else likely will have all day long. How he uses them, I think, is going to say a lot to what the future holds for Connor Daly right now. If he takes advantage of it and gets a good run, puts some time up on the board and stays up near the top, uh, I think that will turn some heads. But if he squanders the opportunity and uh, fall, doesn't take advantage of the perfect conditions, uh, he'll make the field, but uh, he won't make it nearly as high as I think he will with uh, the way the scenarios are lined up. They're lined up perfectly for him. Now he's just got to go out and grab that opportunity by the deck and make the most of it. The, the opportunity is there for him to pull out a big run today, first thing right out of the box here uh, in less than an hour from now. Well, one of the things that we love most at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is what we call happy hour, and that's the hours between uh, 4 and 5 or 5 and 6. I can't remember exactly what the time is, uh, but it's the last hour of the day that they're out there on the track. Uh, and those, that's the time when they go out there and they, they, they kind of just let all hells go, uh, if you will, all balls to the wall, if you will. Uh, yesterday was our first happy hour, uh, official happy hour, if you will. What were your thoughts and takeaways of happy hour on past Friday? Well, the effect that I think it usually plays in qualifying, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to play out that way unless we get some cloud cover uh, late in the day that cools the temperature. Uh, I think the late conditions this afternoon around 550 when the track closes could be the toughest conditions the entire day. So unless you can tweak the car to get the most out, which is possible, uh, if you're, you don't get the job done on your first attempt today, uh, you may be out of luck. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll absolutely see see what happens. You know, last year we saw a real bump day. We saw James Hinchcliffe, one of the best drive. Okay, I'm biased maybe, but certainly one of the one of the best fan favorite drivers out there uh, to get bumped uh, from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, do we have a bump day this year? A real bump well, day, I mean. Keep in mind, thing there was one common denominator that allowed those late runs to happen, and that was the rain. 
That cooled the track down twice and allowed for opportunities and window of opportunity. As far as I'm concerned, I'm not a weatherman, but I don't see a cloud in the sky right now. And unless we get some cloud cover and maybe lower the temperatures a little bit, some shadows, uh, I don't think the track temperature is going to get any cooler than uh, what it is uh, right now. Well, joining us now, we're going to kind of uh, do a little double dipping in the NASCAR and IndyCar. It's uh, it's uh, qualifying weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but another big race, and we appreciate our partnership with Speedway Digest, and that's uh, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, uh, Editor-in-Chief. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Fantastic. Ready to get down to the race. Uh, Matthew Embry is uh, uh, down at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, calling us in live, and I'm going to be joining him right after this show. Appreciate your partnership. Charlotte this weekend, obviously the first of two weeks of racing there at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, Give us a recap of what's going on in the NASCAR world. I'm going to give you a softball, Steve. I'm going to give you an easy question. Won't ask you anything about IndyCar. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, ask me about about IndyCar like next weekend or something after the Indianapolis, right before the Indianapolis 500. I may have something that I can answer for you. (laughs) Uh, I'll ask you you next weekend. I'll ask you uh, a week from now or whatever. After the race Saturday, hey, who do you think is going to win the Indianapolis uh, Indianapolis 500? <laughs> <laughs> Good, and then I can pick one of the 33 drivers out of a bingo ball, a bingo uh, ball hat or something. I don't know. Yeah, there um, you go. Well, well I will well, say this, Steve. <laughs> Steve, I will say this. What are your thoughts on Dale Jr. driving the pace car for the Indy 500 next weekend? Good question. There you go. Thank you, Matthew. Look at that. Softball. <laughs> uh, it, it's just NBC just cross-promoting yet one more time. They're trying to find ways to uh, bring stock car racing fans over to IndyCar and IndyCar fans over to stock car some way, somehow. And, you know, it just goes again to their partnerships that they continue to build upon in the motorsports world. And then they Take those partnerships and then build upon these partnerships with uh, with the the various different series and uh, styles of racing and you know I don't know you know sometimes it's a really hard deal these days where to cross promote and you know IndyCar fans have traditionally not come over to stock car racing and stock car racing fans has not traditionally come over to IndyCar in any great degree that has been excuse me, move the needle, I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in the Indianapolis 500 next weekend, a week from today, right before the Coke 600. Uh, A lot of people will tune in. A lot of stock car racing fans will tune in. But after that, it just kind of subsides. And, you know, a lot of people may tune in just to see Dale Jr. But, you know, again, uh, it's a really hard deal these days to continue, uh, you know, trying to cross-promote because it just really – in my opinion, I just haven't seen it move the needle to any great degree. Of course, we saw this a few years ago. Jeff Gordon drove the pace car in the 2015 edition of the 500 before making the trip over to compete in the World 600. Yeah. And again, you know, that was that, that just shows that you know, I think, you know, with Jeff Gordon, it's kind of a, honestly, it's a little bit different. Uh, he's from Indiana. 
He did do open wheel racing. He did do sprint cars. He did do a lot of the traditional coming up throughout the ranks and the Midwest and out in California. So there's a great degree of interest both in the stock car racing world and in the open wheel racing world with Jeff Gordon. Uh, I think, you know, with, with Dale Jr., I'm sure a lot of people over on the IndyCar side know who he is, but haven't traditionally kept up with him over his uh, entire career. And I think that's, you know, why we get a lot, you know, we'll get a lot of eyeballs from the NASCAR world that's going to tune in. Uh, maybe even a few people that haven't traditionally tuned into the 500 in, in, in years or even before because they're, they're you know, tuning in to see, you know, Dale Jr. Uh, for whatever limited amount of time that may be. Um, you know, Jeff Gordon is kind of that, uh, again, he's kind of a different, um, it's hard to compare them to um, just because of, I think, you know, him being technically, you know, quote unquote a hometown boy there in Indiana that grew up and went to you know stock car racing's greatest uh, you know feats and you know multiple championships and I think a lot of people uh, on the IndyCar side have kept up with him uh, throughout his career so I think uh, you know for them I think that was a good cross promotion to be honest with you and I think that's what we kind of need to look for for in the future, you know, I think if they got Tony Stewart to come out there and do that, I think you'd see a lot of eyeballs, uh, a lot of people that are generating interest uh, because he did run IndyCar, he did win in, um, you know, stock car racing, he is from Indiana. I think those are the types of people that, you know, would maybe move the needle to some degree. I think a lot of people would be interested in seeing a Tony Stewart and maybe even Jeff Gordon coming back there again. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have a lot of eyeballs this weekend for Dale Jr., that's for sure, and there's no doubt about that. Um, but, you know, I just I just think, you know, it's, again, for, for cross-promotion reasons, um, you know, it's hard. And I, we've heard a lot of um, – you know, I've heard from a lot of people within the sport, and I've even heard from track promoters that say sometimes these are just really hard deals to to, to cross promote, and sometimes there's temporary blips in the map. But you know, there's no long-term sustaining ability by you know having a certain driver coming out there and cross promoting the sport. Steve, let's talk and a little. Of course, Tom, another man. Go ahead. Of course, Tom, Go another ahead, thing we've also been hearing concerns about, Tom, is the future of Richard Petty Motorsports. Uh, Steve, we've heard things uh, that, that they're going to shut down. Uh, we've heard possible mergers with Richard Childress. Uh, any new developments on that potential story? Um, you know, this is something that has continued to plague Richard Petty Motorsports for quite some time. And I think, you know, here recently it's just kicked into overdrive. Well, one of their sponsors has you know, uh, 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 now got naming rights for the St. Louis racetrack out there, which Gateway uh, International, which is now Global Technology Raceway. Uh, so this has kind of jumped into hyperdrive. Um, you know, when 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 a company goes out and will put their naming rights or put their name on, on a sports facility. And they know, or it's been well known in the NASCAR world that, you know, Richard Petty Motorsports has struggled financially, uh, and, and that has hurt them on the competition side. And, uh, you know, while Worldwide Technology 
has uh you know put their name on Bubba Wallace's car throughout the year and you know there's a couple more coming up that they will be on the car but I think this has just really just accelerated that to the point that people are trying to figure out um you know we know that NASCAR is expensive it's expensive to put your name on a car uh you know some of these events are running into the hundreds of thousands of dollars and even the top tier teams are millions of dollars you know a race um so you know, Richard Petty Motorsports is the, the competition that has struggled for quite some time. Bubba has not been shy about talking about that. Eric Almarola, before he left and went to Stuart Haas Racing, uh, made some of the same comments. And so, you know, the, it, it, we know that the, the, these are problems that are occurring while they have partnered up with Richard Childress Racing. Um, you know, again, it still takes money to compete in this sport and, you know, they can only buy what they can afford from Richard Childress Racing and, um, you know, they're still struggling. I don't think it's by, you know, because of Bubba Wallace. I think it's just because of their financial situation at this point. Um, what's going to happen to Petty Motorsports? I don't know. There's all kinds of rumors that are going around at this point. I've heard all kinds of crazy things. I've read what people have said on Twitter. I've read what people have said uh, on Reddit, Facebook, and social media. And, um, you know, honestly, I don't know. We've heard this closing story that have been going around, the murders going around, the, uh, you know, uh, Anthony Mustaine, who's the majority owner, is looking at selling. Uh, so, you know, honestly, I don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, <clears throat> if this draws some interest, to Richard Federer Motorsports that gives them the ability to draw more revenue or or draw more sponsors to them. Um, I mean, hey, whatever it takes, you know, sometimes these days to, to get that sponsored, but I don't know. Whatever happens with Richard Petty Motorsports, they've struggled for a long time, and hopefully at some point, maybe with this noise, they'll eventually be able to turn themselves around. Steve, let's talk a little bit about uh, – we're talking about cross-promotion, and we and one of the things that doesn't seem to be as a popular notion is the double. Uh, we're going to run the Indy 500 and, the, and, and then the race down as far as on, on uh, race day. But I was talking to Robin Miller last week. I was tracking a lot of you might know him as – been around for many years and writes for the racing magazine. And one of the things he pointed out with the Indianapolis 500 is, and I, I talked about this earlier on in the show, that the purse has kind of been stagnant for the last 10 years. And, you know, they, they get these big, big multi-million dollar contract IMS I'm talking about, gets these multi-million dollar contracts for naming rights for the call it insert name here, uh, whatever presents the Indianapolis 500. Let's use Budweiser as, as just as a conversation starter. Obviously, Budweiser is not the title sponsor, but whatever. They, they sign these multiple-year uh, mega contracts for naming rights. They c- could take some of that money, let's say $10 million. I mean, it's been – I mean, unless you, unless you place in, like, the top three, the top five, you're not getting anywhere. And, and he's like, you know, one of the ways to get – Formula One drivers, NASCAR uh, drivers, or NASCAR teams is a higher purse. Where what's in it for them? What the skin is in it for them? Do you think that increasing the purse of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway would make it more attractive for? And I think this is important to note that both it could work both ways. 
not that they have to run full time, but if it's if it's financially uh, if the gamble is financially worthy of both teams saying, hey, uh, IndyCar saying, hey, I'll send a, a, a driver, Chip Canassi. We talked about that last week and uh, in, in, in just the silo between NASCAR and IndyCar. It would be so easy to, to make that, um, I don't know, Kyle Larson, for example, race IndyCar. Uh, and then you have a combination, you have a merger of both fans. And do you think that that raising the purse in in big races like the Daytona 500, like the Indianapolis 500, but the Indianapolis 500's purse has been the same that it's been for the last 10 years, and you would think that if anybody can change their purse, it could be the Indianapolis 500. Do you think that that's a key element in seeing a combination between the two sports? Steve, are you still with us? Oh, yeah, that was for me. I thought I thought you were uh, uh, talking to Matt. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. Did I say Matt? I meant to say Steve. I apologize. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, one of the things that has been continuously said and has been on our side in, in stock cars or in NASCAR uh, you know, at one time they changed the timing for this up in Indianapolis, and you know now they run it about an hour later. I think it used to start just around eleven thirty or so, and now it starts somewhere closer to twelve thirty. So you know that kind of puts a very close, you know, window of time to get from Indiana to Charlotte Motor Speedway. And with the competition level the way that it is, is that in the past, you know, there, you know, we've I mean, I remember in a day, back in the day, I remember seeing a helicopter, you know, on TV, land on the front stretch, and I was even there for one six hundred where this happened. That a particular driver ran the Indianapolis five hundred. They literally flew a helicopter in, landed in the ball field on the on the front stretch. Like I'm talking, like minutes within the fact of them rolling off of pit road to run the six hundred mile race. And, um, you know, of course, they've got to go to the back and all these other things. But competition has become so close that without some changing, uh, without some wholesale changes, um, you know, we we may see a driver, you know, want to attempt it. And I know Kurt Busch has been another one that has said that he'd like to attempt it. But with competition so close, you can't really afford to go to the rear anymore. Um, you know, the, the Indianapolis 500, if, if, you know, let's just say that they do run this thing, it goes green at 1230 or, you know, whatever the time is. And on a perfect day, you know, you're, you're still talking nearly three hours there, uh, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Then you've got to get out of there, come to Charlotte. And this thing at Charlotte rolls just after six o'clock, but, you know, so you know they're they're already pressed for time as it is. So you're they're only talking two and a half three hours to get from Indianapolis down to Charlotte. So you know honestly you know I I don't think it's what anybody's doing. I don't think it's you know you know NASCAR drivers feel the prestige in the Indianapolis 500. Sure, there's money involved in this, but also it's just not money. There's just so many other things that are you know really tied up into it these days. 
and, and NASCAR drivers aren't going to come to Indianapolis if they can't find a good quality rod, and the same can be said for an IndyCar driver. They're not going to come run the 600 if, if they're not going to be a competitive team, and there just isn't enough seats. That's just the that's just what we know. There just isn't enough seats and good quality competitive rides. And, uh, yeah, sure, you know, let's just take Kurt Busch, for example, because I think he's a good one that we can talk about. First off, he said that he wants to do it. Secondly, he runs for Ganassi in the in the Cup Series. And, you know, Ganassi could field another car in the IndyCar Series. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there's just a lot that goes in, and it's evolved into this. And I just think that it's just not money. It's just a lot of things, really, to be honest. I think timing is a concern. Quality rods are a concern. Um, you know, there's there's just too much. And let's just say that, you know, and then if let's just say a NASCAR driver, for example, finishes on the podium. You know, they got media availabilities that they're going to have to contend with, and there's just no way around that sometimes. And then, you know, let's just say that, they, now they've done missed the start of the Coke 600. That's, that's detrimental to them in the in the in in the points. That's detrimental to them in you know a lot of different ways. And I just think it's just really hard to, for it to be done. Um, I think it's really hard to to get it done these days uh, with timing concerns. I think there'd have to be some coordination between IndyCar and NASCAR to to maybe doing something like that. And I think that's where. You know, I think that's where you know maybe we've heard <clears throat> we've heard where NASCAR has for a long time wanted to buy IndyCar. We know IndyCar is probably not for sale and isn't going to be sold. But <clears throat> with but aside from them buying IndyCar and being able to control it to some degree, I think they're just going to have to work together. And that's not something that NASCAR has done in the past. They've told their drivers they can go and do it. But you know, you know the ramifications. It's the fact that if you get here late, you're going to the rear, or whatever the case is. We're talking with Steve Wilson, editor in chief of Speedway Digest. Appreciate their partnership that they have with us uh, to cover the Indianapolis 500 out at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway live. Uh, standing by is Matthew Embry, WSBT episode Ben, our official IndyCar contributor. Matthew, what's going on at the track? Seems kind of quiet right now. Well, right now they're going through, I think, last uh, pre-qual inspection. I think in the next few minutes you will, around 1030, I think you'll start seeing cars being pushed into the qualification line uh, with Connor Daly's car being first. Uh, then they'll have the opening ceremonies, uh, national anthem, and then at 11 a.m. they'll give final instructions to Connor, send him on his way, and we will get going. And uh should be a very interesting day. And, uh, with again, an 80% chance of showers and thunderstorms tomorrow. I think that is going to see – a lot of action, especially around that 33 position, because if we lose everything on Sunday, the field's set through that qualification run. If you're 34, 35, 36, you're going home. Matthew, I'll be out there right after the show, and, and uh, you and I will be doing some uh, Twitter live Twitter feeds uh, and some live Facebook feeds. I tell you what, it's going to be exciting, and we'll be out there tomorrow, and I'll be out there all week next week as we get geared up for the 103rd running of the Indianapolis 500. Why, we still got you guys. Uh, Matthew, do you have anything for Steve as far as NASCAR goes? Steve, I think the right thing, and you hit on it right there, is what incentive does the NASCAR team owners have by allowing their driver to run there? Because 
unless they waive the rule where you miss the driver's meeting and you, you have to start in the back, uh, there just is no incentive for a team owner to allow one of their drivers to do the double. I mean, they're at more of a loss than a gain. Uh, unless they're getting maybe a portion of the winnings or, again, that is weighed where they could keep their starting position for the 600. And then, of course, you have the concern after 500 miles, how much left does the driver have in the tank to not only go through a plane ride from Indy to Charlotte, but after that, uh, all the nutrition, all that stuff, to be able to handle 600 miles. We saw Tony Stewart literally fall flat on his face at the end of the 99 uh, Coke 600 where he literally had to be pulled out of his car and put on a stretcher. So the incentive has to be there for the team owners in NASCAR to allow this to happen. And frankly, I just don't see anything where there's an incentive for them to allow their drivers to compete at Indy at this point. I think until there's that incentive where it benefits them in the long run as well, I don't think you're going to see it. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think you're going to see a top tier driver do it. Um, you know, you may have, I think you may see a driver that has nothing to lose do it, but, you know, again, um, you know, those drivers that have nothing to lose sometimes are dependent upon their seats within the sport. And, you know, by them, you know, going off and uh, uh, doing something extra curricular may jeopardize that. I think you're right. I think there's just... There's there has there's not an incentive to do it, you know, all around. Um, but you know, let, let's think about it on your side too. I mean, on the IndyCar side, what incentive is it for for an NASCAR driver to come over there? I mean, if it's not somebody of name recognition, what incentive do they have to put them in a car? My point exactly. You hit a nail on the head. I mean. It's got to be work out. And it's got to make sense because, I mean, we've seen it with Fernando Alonso this week. I mean, they came in, you know, blind on this, and now they're struggling just to make the field. I mean, what? I mean, it doesn't do a NASCAR driver good to do the double and then struggle. And then I think the perfect scenario is 95. Davy Jones was a full-timer in NASCAR, elected to do the double. He made the field for the Indy 500, but he failed to qualify for Charlotte. And two races later – he loses his NASCAR ride. So it's got to work out, and the incentives have got to be there. And like you said, uh, on both sides of the coin, when we're talking IndyCar to NASCAR or NASCAR to IndyCar, the incentives aren't uh, there positively for either side of the coin at this point. Steve, uh, let's talk a little bit about this weekend's NASCAR race. Obviously, we want to get that in. Uh, it's, it's qualifying weekend here at Indianapolis, so we got a lot to talk about with that. Uh, and then tomorrow is full day, and the next week will be two hours. Our entire show is our annual special, The Field of 33. Uh, but this weekend at Charlotte, what are your thoughts? What are, what are the, what are the uh, things to look for? And just give us a recap of NASCAR of where we're at now. Yeah. Well, we're we're at the fact of Kyle Busch has won again in the truck series last night. Uh he's he's won five straight there, but you know, luckily um he he can't be entered in any more truck series events this year. Um so <laughs> there, there, there's there's no more Kyle Busch going to Victory Lane in the truck series this year. So we don't have to talk about that anymore. Well, let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. <laughs> um, you know, qualifying for tonight's all-star race. Clint Boyer sitting on the pole tonight uh, for that one. 
uh, you know, I think I think it's going to be an interesting event. They've changed up the rules a little bit. We now have aero ducks that are running from the front valence on the cars up to the hood. Um, this is supposed to produce um, uh, better racing within the, uh, you know, within the dirty air, as they say, um, throughout the field. Also it's supposed to bring the temperatures of the engines down by a couple degrees uh, with more airflow and also give them a little bit more downforce in that front area uh, of the car. So um, those are some things to look for tonight. Um, you know, this, you know, that's been said that, you know, in the, in the past, we've used the all-star race to test some things out. Some of the things that we used last year in the all-star race have been put into this new package we're running this year. Some of the things we used last year were scrapped totally. So this is something that NASCAR is trying. Um, you know, everything that they test, everything that they try, and they've used the all-star race as kind of a test bed because there's no points involved into it, uh, could potentially go into either next year's car or go into the Gen 7 car which would debut in 2021. So um, it'll be, I think, um, tonight, if we can produce some closer racing, um, especially in the dirty air, uh, which has plagued uh, racing throughout the field and allowed the leaders uh, to jump out to multiple second uh, leads, um, I, I'm hoping that we can see some racing like we saw last week at Kansas. We saw racing throughout the entire field. Um and it was very close. It was very competitive. And if we can produce that at Charlotte and beyond, and this uh, this uh, valence, I mean these, uh, sorry, these uh, air ducts and the valences uh, help produce that, then I'm all for it. Um, but at least give it a shot tonight to see how it works out. You know, one for of the, the drivers that Steve, go ahead, Steve. Would, Matt, would they ahead. ever consider bringing back possibly the field inversion from segment one to two as a possible way to induce more drama or more action potentially, or is that just a, a dead thing that we probably will never see again? Uh, well, we're changing the roles in the all-star race almost every year. So, you know, if they can do something to make it more fun, more competitive, I'm sure that they'll look at it. Um, I've actually heard drivers say that they – like the inversion uh Carl, uh Kyle Larson ha- has talked about different various different things in his sprint car pass uh in open wheel fast pass short track stuff like that where they did do inversion now, I'm not saying he he uh, has uh is in favor of doing it at the all-star race but you know there are you know there have been you know comments made about the inversion over the years since it was taken away and um, will they bring it back? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, honestly, I don't know. I'll, we'll just see what they come up with next year. <laughs> you know, uh, Steve, one of the, the drivers I've been watching, and, and it just kind of seems like he's found his stride. It just kind of seems like he's he's found his 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 way, if you will. And that's Alex Bowman. Alex Bowman is a, is a driver that I feel like is going places in 2019 and definitely in 2020. Well, last two weeks, he's finished runner-up. Um, he seems like he's going to be the Stuart Friesen of the Cup Series that has run, run up front, led laps, but end up leading uh, leading laps and then end up at the end of the race in second place more than he is uh, anywhere else. Um, you know, an interesting stat for Alex Bowman in his Cup Series career, he's finished in every single position in the field except for first. 
Um, you know, he, he led at Kansas. He led the week before, um, and he just hasn't been able to bring it home. Although, you know, he he is um, getting better. I think he is one of the stronger ones over at Hendrick Motorsports. Um, you know, there's a reason that Dale Jr. tapped him for that car and tapped him back when he had to get out the car a couple of years ago. Um, you know, the there is talent in Alex Bowman. Um, there's a lot of untapped talent in Alex Bowman, and he's very young. He has a long career ahead of him, and I think that, uh, you know, his first year full-time in the Cup Series and even, you know, he had his ups and downs. He seemed to be brighter when he ran that limited series uh, schedule for Dale Jr. in his place. A lot of people saw a lot of talent into him. And, uh, you know, last year, just, you know, aside from sitting on, you know, the outside pole at Daytona, um, he's, uh, you know, it was very an up and down. I think, you know, you could probably call it a, you know, he wasn't a rookie, but I think you could consider it a typical rookie year where there's a lot of learning involved. But this year, I think he's figured it all out. Um, and eventually, I, I'm sure he'll go to victory lane this year. It's just a matter of uh, when it's going to happen at this point. Final comments, uh, Steve uh, Wilson, uh, Speedway Digest. Um, I want to know, is Eric Jones officially off Clint Boyer's Christmas card list? <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, talk with us a little bit about that I mean obviously we know uh, about the end of the race in Kansas last week and it's competitive racing it is ra- racing what it is uh, but but certainly there was some tension to be ha- had at the end of that race yeah uh, Clint Borey just felt that Eric Jones was just doing a little too much blocking there although some of his teammates have said that you know this is racing I think Harvick said Tuesday night that when he looked back at this um, that you know he didn't really see anything necessarily wrong from this um, that it was just racing it was good hard racing and I think you know I think these are things that as these cars continue to get closer and the competition is closer we've not seen that in the past at a place like Kansas we've seen uh, the traditional conveyor belt of cars and they've not really been that close together and this is a product of what happens when cars are close together we're going to see drivers blocking for position uh, and making it extremely difficult to get around them um, and I'm I'm totally in favor of that um, you know if if you you know I, I I don't think any driver should just lay over and let somebody come by. Um, you know, we've we've heard about how hard it is for Ryan Newman to get around him, uh, regardless of where he's running in the field. He doesn't care whether you're the leader or you're five laps down. He's going to race you the exact same way. He's going to block you. He's going to make it hard. And I'm in favor for that for all drivers out there on the field. And if that creates a little bit of tension out there, then so be it. That's racing. All right, Steve, uh, we appreciate 
you jumping on with us today for a short amount of time. We'll dedicate some more time to, to NASCAR in the, in the coming weeks. But the Indianapolis 500 is going on, guys. So let's uh, we got to wrap it up, put a bowl in it. we got to get into some NBA talk with Mo from the BS Sports Show. And then I've got to jet down to 16th in Georgetown. I'm only about three miles, four miles at the most away from there. And I know all the side roads, so I can get into the media a lot relatively quickly. Matthew, so I'll be catching up with you soon. Matthew, any final thoughts? What's going on? Are we getting ready to go? Gear to go, I'd say right now it's real close. It's a toss-up, I'd say, right now for P1 between uh, Power and Carpenter. I guess I'm just going to have to toss a coin and say, Will Power gets it this time? Okay, um, uh, Steve, we're going to put you on the spot here, your hardest question of the day. What are your thoughts on the uh, poll day for tomorrow for the Indianapolis 500? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't. I, I, I don't know. That guy. I'm gonna go with that guy. Some right? guy. Yeah. So right, some guy out there. Look, I, I tell you what. The first one that the first one that runs the fastest speed is gonna get the pole. How about that one? There you go. All right, guys. So we gotta wrap it up here. Uh, Matthew, I'll see you in and just a bit down at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Steve, we appreciate you jumping on, and we'll talk with you soon. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Steve. Well, we lost Mo, and uh, sorry about that, Mo. Call me back. <laughs> and we're efforting to try to get Mo back. Let's see, I was pushing too many buttons, and uh, inadvertently, <laughs> we were joined by Matthew Embry, live from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway's qualification weekend, as well as Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest, uh, talked some NASCAR with us. We appreciate the partnership that we have with uh, Speedway Digest and us uh, able to provide him with some IndyCar uh, content. And joining us now is Mo from the BS Sports Show. Mo, I, I started pushing buttons way too fast. I apologize. I did not mean to hang up on you, buddy. How are you? I, I know. You're lucky I called you back after that. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm absolutely lucky. Well, for the BS Sports Show, I appreciate you joining us, guys. We, we've kind of uh, did this show today rapid fire without any breaks because we uh, had a lot to get in. It's qualification weekend. Down Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I'll be headed down there right after this show. So, Mo, I want to talk with you about Tyreek Evans, his suspension mm-hmm. from the NBA. Well, let's just say banned from the NBA. He can't even try to play again for, for two years. And it seems like it was a little excessive because this has only happened twice in the history of the NBA. What do we know? Bring us up to speed of Tyreek Evans. Obviously uh, the Pacers took a big gamble on him and, Clearly, it did not pan out, but what happened? Give us a story. Well, you know, he was going to be a free agent this year anyways, um, but I know a lot of people assume either right or wrong, or I don't know if they're, trying to be, if, if they're being stereotypical or not, that they assume that it's marijuana, and that's not true. So the what he was charged with was uh, drugs of consumption that are abusive, and under the NBA policy, that means either uh, cocaine, methamphetamine, or heroin. So it's one of those that he tested for. Uh, you remember O.J. Mayo got the same punishment a few years back, and we've heard nothing from him since. Uh, is it possible Tyreek Evans plays in the NBA again? Maybe, but probably not at this point. Um, I'm sure he'll he'll play overseas for the next couple of years, and uh, we probably have seen the last of Tyreek Evans as far as the NBA goes, unless 
you know, you see a championship team two years from now, if he can get reinstated, that needs a piece on the bench, maybe. But uh, it, it wasn't just it wasn't just uh, marijuana. It wasn't performance-enhancing drugs. This was uh, an abusive drug with, uh, that the NBA considers serious. Are they going to make that report public so that we know what that drug was? Uh, as part as per the collective bargain agreement, I don't know if that's possible. I don't think we ever found out what OJ Mayo was. I think when they gave the uh, when they gave the you know what falls under that policy, that's probably as close as we're going to get, unless somebody sues the NBA and gets it that way. But it, it's not like it, it's not like it was Kobe Bryant or you know one of the top name stars. It, it's Tyreek Evans. So if it was the, if it was one of the the you know A line star players, maybe what if it's a, what if it, work what if it was? It. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What if, what no, if it was his brother? If it was, a, if it was a big name player, maybe. What if it was his brother? Hmm. That's a good question. Possibly then. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I'm waiting for the I'm, I'm waiting for the excuse like when somebody writes something on Twitter that they get flack for, and oh, somebody hacked my Twitter, or you know, somebody gets caught cheating as a celebrity. Oh, I have a sex addiction, so I'm just waiting for the the, the excuse that uh, that Tyreek Evans is going to give us. Well. We move on. The Pacers do move on, and, and uh, you, you know, counting that counting as a uh, as a bad date, if you will, it, it, those happen. And, and I don't think the Pacers organization is eternally scarred from this. Do you? No, not by any means. And I, I know that that Kevin Pritchard wants to be active this offseason. They've got some of their own guys they got to take care of. Uh, Bogdanovich uh, going to be a free agent. Uh, 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 wow, why, why is his name slipping my mind? Um, the big man said, uh, the, uh, either way, he's going to be a free agent uh, as well. And uh, right. uh, Thaddeus Young. And, um, Th- Thaddeus Young, okay. Uh, you know, I, I was. I, I... So, so they got there, but, you know, there's, I know they've, they had interest last year, the, the trading deadline, and Mike Conley uh, from Memphis, and now with Memphis scoring the number two overall pick. And taking, I'm sure, probably taking John Morant, uh, he's going to become expendable. Whether they keep him, uh, you know, to the trading deadline and move him, try to help John Morant learn, or move him right away, and maybe try to pick up another higher draft pick. The only problem that comes along with that is over the next two years, Mike Conley is owed almost seventy million dollars, sixty-six point like three-six million dollars is owed over the next two years. Uh, so we'll see if that happens with the Pacers. I know they have interest in Bradley Beal. But to get a guy like Bradley Beal, that's probably going to uh, mean that they're going to have to trade a Miles Turner or a, a Sabonis, which I, you know, I don't know if the Pacers are key on. But if you look, you know, usually those two guys can't be on the floor at the same time. Each has a different skill set. So I guess if the Pacers do decide to move on from one, they'll have to decide which they want to move on from. Um, you know, and at this point, I, I think that uh, they have, uh, you know, some interest. Uh, and Kimball Walker, I don't see him signing there. You know, I know Brooklyn's interested, and the Knicks are interested. The Lakers have been interested, uh, so it's hard to see Kimball Walker coming to a you know a smaller franchise. Victor Oladipo coming off the injury, uh, you know, but Kevin Pritchard's got to do what he's got to do this time. You know, it's not been a free agent destination, but he's got to find a way to get another star uh, alongside Victor Oladipo. And until that happens, I, you know, the Pacers are going to be probably first round exits. You know, each of these next few years. And, and let's remember. Victor Oladipo is not a young man anymore. You know, uh, he's up in his late twenties now, so he's he's getting into that prime. And it's time if you're going to make a move, you've got to do it now. And drafting 18 every year is not going to do it for you. So you really got to figure out a way to uh, you know to get to get 
to get another superstar. And I just don't, I don't think that they're going to be able to, uh, to do that unless they make, maybe make a trade. It's going to be hard for them, I think, to just sign somebody. So maybe a trade for Bradley Beal, who the Lakers are also interested in. Um, you know, I've heard some rumors of uh, um, uh, the uh, point guard down in uh, New Orleans, who uh, his name is my mind as well at this point. Um, but, you know, there's some players out there, but not many top-line players. So the Pacers have to, I think, sign their guys that are free agents and, and do their best to try to trade for a guy. So let's uh, dive deep into this, and let's, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, take the uh, media bait, if you will. Uh, Zion Williamson uh, to the Pelicans. He doesn't want to play there. He goes back to, no, that's not going to happen. No, 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 no. But we want to talk about it. We want, it. We want something to talk about. And Zion Williamson did not want to go to the Pelicans. Is he going to pull an Eli Manning? No. He's going to go play for the Pelicans, for God's sake. And he's going to make a ton of money. And the Pelicans now are prevalent. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, you know, they, they've, they've got a pretty good core there. Uh, but I think the problem is, is that they're going to look to try to move Anthony Davis. And at that point, I think that, uh, you know, that's going to put a little more pressure on Zion. You know, Zion wanted to go to New York for no other reason than the fact that he's he's a smart kid, even though he's young. Uh, you know, he realizes that in the NBA, it's all about building your brand, and and uh, you know, he he knew that in New York he could do that. Uh, so you know, he's smart, but you know, let's be honest, the Pelicans are relevant. But do you even with Zion Williamson there, even if they kept Anthony Davis, do you feel like the Pelicans to win the NBA championship next year? I don't. You know what I mean? So yeah, is he going to sell jerseys and and make fans show up to the arena? He sure is, but. Does it make the Pelicans a, a, a championship contender? Not, not even close. You know, Zion Williamson's a fun player to watch. I like him. He's fun to oh, watch. Yeah. Is that gone now? Are we are we going to be able to have fun watching Zion Williamson with the Pelicans? They're going to uh, get a no, lot of TV time. Him. But it, no, you, you you'll see him like maybe Christmas Day. You'll see him on a couple of late night TNT games, but. The average East Coast fan, Midwest fan, not going to see much of him. You see his highlights on the Sports Center, but let's be honest: in this day and age, who fans' interest, even for other than the NFL, it's hard to sit through an entire game anymore, unless it's the playoffs or what have you. So, you know, we live vicariously through highlights, whether it be on our phone or on ESPN or what have you. So, Zion Williamson is a highlight machine. So, I think he will gain a ton of popularity just that way. I think him going to a different franchise would have been much better. Uh, you know, for him, other than New Orleans, it's a place you kind of go get lost. I mean, we love Anthony Davis, but other than the All-Star game and a couple of, uh, you know, Sunday NBA games, how much do we see him? Well, here's the thing. He's, what, 20 years old, so he's got a three-year contract, you say-ish, uh, three- to four-year contract with the Pelicans. It, it, it'll, it'll, gonna be, make... it'll be four years with, a, with an option for the team for a fifth. So he'll be 23, 24 years old. He'll be uh, have an opportunity to make a max contract, which he'll probably get. He'll be one of the richest players in the NBA. By the time he's 24 years old, he can go anywhere he wants. Why not just bite the bullet for the next three, uh, four years with the Pelicans and then go to New York or L.A. and be like everybody else uh, that, <laughs> that, that is part of that. So I, I think that's exactly what we see happen. Here's what the Pelicans – the Pelicans remind me a lot of the Cleveland Indians, right? So they, they draft young players who come up to major leagues, become very good, then they can't retain their own players because they either want to leave or they become too expensive and the franchise doesn't want to spend the money. And I think that's what the Pelicans have become. You know, they're going to have to keep growing these young superstars 
who, when they have the chance to finally move on, if it's not just about the money, move on. And in the NBA anymore, yeah, you can get paid more by staying with your team and signing the max deal, but can you make more if you're Zion Williamson by moving to a major market and you know taking $40 million less? Can you, can you recoup that if you're him uh, in a big market? And if he continues to play like he did and market himself uh, like he did in college, there's no doubt in my mind that being in a big market, he can make up that, that differential. So that's going to be tough for a team like New Orleans to try to match. New Orleans is a great city, don't get me wrong, but do you go to New Orleans for basketball? Most people don't. Uh, you know, so it's kind of a wait and see game. Uh, if you're a superstar, to what's what's going to be available to you, and and what's the landscape going to look like in four years or five years? No, you go to New Orleans for other reasons. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but, but <laughs> this is 2019, 2020, whatever. I, I think mm-hmm. in the world that we live in, I mean. In my world, we all work remotely, and uh, I, I don't see how a person cannot build their brand if they're not in L.A. or if they're not in New York because they can. They absolutely can. I mean even if they wanted to fly when they're not playing to New York or L.A., if they have to be there, they can absolutely, uh, they can, they can absolutely be there. Let's talk about the 76ers. 76ers told their fans trust the process over the last couple of years. And no, we're not really taking, we're just, we just have a, we just not winning. And, and so we're just going to draft to a championship. Well, trust the process has now become problematic. You have to be able to have uh, consistency. And so, now they they tank, they trust the process. Maybe they're in a good position in the next couple of years. But you look at the Philadelphia 76ers, the process didn't work at the end. Well, I mean, you know, it, that, that four bounces on the rim of that game seven uh, probably cost Brett Brown his job, which is sad because, you know, he's the guy that suffered through all those miserable years as they tried to put this together. You know, you, you can't just count. Uh, a lot of times on one one guy, uh, you know, to lead you every single night because, you know, unless you're a superhuman like Michael Jordan or LeBron, the same guy's not going to be able to lead you every night in the NBA. It's just not, especially a big guy. So, uh, you know, if, if Joel Embiid uh, was able to stay healthy all year long for, you know, the past couple of years, things could be different. The other problem is you got a superstar uh, guard in Ben Simmons who can't make an outside shot. You know, once you get past about 15 feet, he's he's pretty useless. That's a great scorer. And going to be a great NBA player, but if he could develop a shot and care enough to develop his outside shot, uh, you know, they could be uh, treacherous. J.J. Redick probably going to leave in free agency. I know he wants to stay in Philadelphia, but he could be a casualty, especially if they decide to keep uh, Jimmy Butler, which I don't know if that's going to be possible as well. Uh, you know, Jimmy's kind of a head case, it seems like, over the last couple of years, so I don't know if he moves on. And he could be another target, you know, for the Indiana Pacers that we talked about earlier. But uh, it's going to depend on, on what uh, the front office wants to do. And, and remember, you, know, you still have a guy who's a, a rookie GM who, who made, you know, he, he, he put it to his kahunas on the line and made some big trades, you know. They brought in Tobias Harris, who to me is probably one of the best players in the NBA. You know, he was a guy who was, who was leading the Clippers. And, uh, you know, as they made this march towards the playoffs this year and then was traded, uh, you know, because the Clippers didn't think they were going to be able to re-sign him. So, you know, he's a very underrated guy, uh, I think would be wise for them to keep. So it'll be interesting to see what they decide to keep, who they keep and, and what they decide to put together this year. Uh, but, you know, Joel Embiid is going to be the cornerstone there for a long time. And, and how do they build around him to make a successful team? Because a lot of teams anymore, you know, don't build around a big man, but maybe that's changing. You know, we see with Anthony Davis, we're going to see it with Zion Williamson, so we'll see how the uh, 76ers move forward. But I'm sure it's going to be at this point with a new coach. 
You know, uh, this past week we saw a former Pacer go to the Lakers, and it wasn't Paul George, but Frank Vogel. How uh, that just seems like a a a, uh, a uh, save this date uh, seat warmer for uh, uh, for Jason Kidd, for for Kid to be the next coach, but. Frank Vogel says, I'll take it all day long, every day, twice on Sunday. Frank Vogel to the Lakers. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I, I like to hire a lot of people poo uh, pooed the hire, but I, I like to hire Frank Vogel a lot. He's a guy that LeBron does respect after their clashes uh, with Miami and, and uh, you know, in the uh, uh, NBA playoffs and the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't like the hire of Jason Kidd. Uh, you know, I don't like the fact that Frank only got a three-year contract, which mirrors, you know, what LeBron's doing, which is why uh, Tyron Lue, one of the reasons he didn't want the job. You know, most NBA coaches always get a five-year deal. Luke Walton had a five-year deal. Uh, but, uh, you know, Frank's a, a, coach, a guy who uh, stresses defense. You know, he didn't sometimes didn't have the scores available like LeBron uh, in Indiana. So, you know, one of the reasons that Larry Bird moved on from Frank Vogel was because he wanted to score more points. And Frank's offense doesn't do that, but you know when you when you're only when you're only allowing 82 points a game or 86 points a game, whatever Frank did in those really successful years, you don't need to score a ton of points. So uh, I like the hire of Frank. I don't like the hire of Jason Kidd basically as a coach in waiting. I, I hate that move. But you know when a lot of people crapped on it, I got to know Frank very very well. Had him on my show a couple of times. You know, and, and Frank also was uh, on David Letterman as a youngster doing uh, stupid human tricks. So which is a story that Frank shared with me on my show. Uh, I, I like Frank Vogel a lot, and I, I, love the, I love the hire. I think of the coaches they interviewed, it's probably the best uh, outcome they could have had because it's hard to find a guy that LeBron respects and will play for, and I think they did that in Frank Vogel. Let's go ahead and play some more media clickbait. Uh, LeBron James doesn't stay with the Lakers. Uh, you know, it, there was talk last year. It came out that uh, – after the whole debacle with Anthony Davis happened because it was LeBron's people uh, who represented Davis and kind of got the Lakers uh, in a bad spot that she had thought about trading LeBron at that point. Uh, you know, I, I talked about this extensively. I think at some point LeBron returns to Cleveland, whether it be his last year as a player to play with his son or at some point as an owner of the, of the Cavaliers, I think at some point he returns to Cleveland. If you're going to trade LeBron James, I mean, what are you going to get for him? You know, that's, that's a big question. What can you get for LeBron because let's be honest, LeBron's contract is technically four years, but he can get out after the third. So, you know, you've got to find a team that's won because the Lakers, I mean, would want the moon and they should. What uh, what can you get for LeBron? And for the first time last year, we saw him miss, you know, 20-plus games, uh, first time ever in his career. Uh, so who's going to want to trade for that? It, you know, and is LeBron going to feel happy going to a team that's, uh, you know, a lower-level team? Uh, you know, I mean – I'd love to see LeBron play alongside Victor Oladipo, but I don't think that ever happens. Uh, you know, he's probably going to be a Laker until the, the third year of his contract and then possibly move on. But I think LeBron at this point, uh, if he doesn't get another championship in the next few years, uh, he he abandons that goal, and his goal will be to play uh, alongside his son, uh, Bronny, for one year. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see what happens. But I, don't know, I, don't know, I don't know if you've seen the video. I don't know if you've seen the video of uh, his son play basketball, but damn, is he good? 
Oh, no, no, of course, he is a, 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 a pedigree, that's for sure. We'll, we'll definitely see, be talking about him in his young years, how much like we did his father. Mo, uh, we don't often see upsets in the NBA Finals. I'm hoping for one. Come on, uh, come on, uh, Warriors. We do not want another Warriors championship. Toronto, you have got to get your stuff together. The Bucks, I think, are going to win it all. That's, that's my thought, my intuition, though. I tell you what, though. <laughs> Toronto is not playing like they want to have a national be in a national championship game, and they have got to do that uh, because uh, I mean, uh, Big Curry's going to come after Little Curry. Little brothers going after each other, but uh, <laughs> if you want to beat Big Brother, you got to do a little bit better than what you're doing. Toronto's got to get their got to get their junk together. Well, I mean, here's the problem I think for both Toronto, uh, you know, and Portland. First off, you come get uh, out of a long series, a seven game series, both with dramatic. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, I, I got it, I got it transposed, but you you put me back on track. <laughs> yeah. I was talking about Portland, but yes, you're right. I'm so sorry. Yeah, Go I ahead. mean, you come out of a long seven game series, both with emotional game seven endings, uh, you know, and. I think that uh, that you know a lot of that energy was spent, and now you know they've they've had two games each of the teams, and you know for for Portland in order to, to knock off the Warriors at this point, um, especially without Kevin Durant, it, it, it's got to be it's got to be shooting. You've got to have Damian Lillard, uh, you know, and uh, um, C.J. McCollum shoot the lights out like they did in the last three games of the series against Denver. So that's the only way they're going to be able to take down Golden State is with uh, is with shooting. You know, unfortunately, you know the, what we saw last year. Uh, give uh, give the Warriors such trouble with their Rocket series was uh, was the big man who could shoot the basketball like Trevor Ariza, um, you know, and, and Clint Capella, and, and Portland doesn't really have that. So uh, I think it's important for them both guys to get hot at the same time if they're gonna if they're gonna have a chance to knock out the Warriors. For Toronto, uh, you know, I, one of the things that I saw in the game last night that really impressed me that is the reason I think Milwaukee one of the reasons I think Milwaukee wins the series. You know, with about six minutes to go in the fourth quarter. You know, uh, Milwaukee's up big, and your soon-to-be NBA MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo, dies for a basketball out of bounds when he doesn't need to at that point. But just watching that guy put his body on the floor at that situation showed me that, uh, you know, this team is for real. And I've said it all year long to you that, you know, I think the Bucks made the right moves in season to make this team better. They saw where they lacked in outside shooting. Because Giannis, like uh, like Ben Simmons, not a great outside shooter, can score with the best of them ever in the NBA, uh, but you know, not the best outside shooter. So they addressed some of those needs, and I, I think that was very important moves they made. Toronto as well made moves, but I think where Toronto made the mistake is guys who were successful with them in plus minus last year, uh, which is a big thing when you take the positives you do against the negatives, turnovers and stuff like that, and that's how you get your plus minus. You know, guys like Valanciunas, uh, guys like Demar Derozan, those guys who led the team in that last year are gone now. DeMar's gone for Kawhi, which is obviously an upgrade, but Kyle Lowry is not picked up. Mark Gasol, who they traded Valachunas uh, to Memphis for, uh, has, has been terrible so far in this series. And I guess the biggest question for me at this point, Toronto I don't think goes to the NBA Finals, but have they done enough and gone far enough for Kawhi to resign? Because they took that gamble, taking Kawhi, who only had a year left on his deal when they dealt DeMar DeRozan. Have they done enough, gone far enough, and has, has does he like the culture enough to stay in Toronto? Because Toronto's a team that will be a player in Anthony Davis if Kawhi stays. If Kawhi stays, you're going to see Toronto 
I, I think, go all out to bring another big name uh, next to him, and it could be Anthony Davis. But it's all going to depend on what Kawhi Leonard does. Does he want to be a Clipper, or does he want to stay in Toronto? Have they done enough to do that? And, you know, he's been phenomenal. There's been nights where it, it's been him, and that's been the only thing going for Toronto. And, and to watch Kawhi, not only last series, but in this series so far, has just been phenomenal. Those two, him and Octocoupe and Leonard against each other, I'd watch that every day of the week, and I can't say that two years ago I would have said that. So uh, the Warriors lead uh, uh, Portland 2-0. To, uh, mm-hmm. Is there any chance in hell that Portland uh, comes out on the bright side of this? No, but I think there's a chance that they make it respectable. Uh, you know, playing in the Rose Garden is not an easy place to play there in Portland. They're back there, at, you know, tonight at 9 o'clock uh, on ABC. Uh, you know, and the biggest thing to me – is not even about the Trailblazers at this point or about the Houston Rockets who the Warriors beat last series. I think that the Warriors have shown themselves that they'd be okay if Kevin Durant leaves. You know, he's a, he's a guy who didn't play the pivotal game six against the Rockets, hasn't been available in this series yet. And, you know, hey, the Warriors are still okay. So, you know, I think that maybe they focus more on keeping Clay Thompson than they do uh, and resigning him than maybe than they do Kevin Durant and let him go off to either Brooklyn or, or the Knicks. Uh, I think this series has just maybe convinced uh, Bob Leonard that, uh, hey, look, uh, you know, we'll be all right post-Kevin Durant if he decides to go. So uh, I know Kevin's to the point now, I think, where he wants to get paid. Uh, you know, if I'm Durant, though, why not continue to do these, these super one-year deals? Why lock yourself in anywhere, you know? You just continue, he continues to make himself more valuable every year. Uh, you know, probably 1A, uh, 1B, 1C in the NBA as far as the best players go. Uh, you know, Portland – like I said, if, I think if, if McCollum and, and Loder get hot on the same night, they can definitely steal a game or two. I just don't think they have enough left in the tank. This is still a very young team with a you know uh, a playoff inexperienced coach and Terry Stotts. I like this team a lot, but I don't think that they've got enough to knock the Warriors off in this series. But I think they can make it respectable. So are we thinking that it's the Bucks and the Warriors in the NBA championships? Yeah, and doesn't that sound like fun? Bucks are going to win it, man. Anybody but the Warriors. I'd love to see Milwaukee (laughs) win it. Yeah, you know, and and not only that, but being on that big stage, I mean, a lot of people have seen the highlights of Giannis. I think a lot of people have watched Giannis play a whole game uh, other than maybe the All-Star game. So I think Giannis being on the big stage in the finals will be great for the NBA because, you know, the NBA does one thing that, that, uh, you know, in football it's all about the team. Uh, and that's how the, NBA, the NFL markets it. They market the game. Uh, the NBA markets its individual stars, and they do it well. But I think getting Giannis in prime time will be great. And it's one thing that Major League Baseball needs to learn how to do, marketing their young guys. You know, because let's be honest, Bryce Harper has done a great job of marketing himself. But, you know, Mike Trout should be a world beater. I don't think, you know, people could pick Mike Trout out of a lineup if they ran into him in the street. So, uh, you know, Giannis being on the big stage in the NBA Finals will be good for the NBA. Well, I tell you what, it's qualification weekend out the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I'm headed there in just a few minutes here. What is your pick for the Indianapolis 500, 103rd running of the 500 pole this weekend? We'll know no, tomorrow. No idea. Um, uh, Ed, uh, is that Carpenter still race? He does. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take I'll take I'll take Ed Carpenter. I sat next to him at a Patriots game one time. Super nice guy. Uh, I'll take Ed Carpenter. Well, he's a Butler grad. He's a he's a hometown boy, and he's certainly won uh, the P1 spot there twice. So you know, hey, go 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 with it. So Mo, we appreciate you joining us. Where can people find your work in your masterpieces, sir? Um, well, 
Um, mostly nowhere. Um, but if I do have one, it will be on Twitter at Mo Radio Show. So you're going to renew your contract with Pornhub? <laughs> yeah, when I was when I was sick a couple weeks ago, they they sent me an email to check in on me, make sure I was okay. <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll talk with you soon. All right, time out front of the track, buddy. All right, buddy. We'll see you. Mo, Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us talking NBA Finals. Guys, this is it, man. I'm getting ready to sign off, sign narrow, and head on over to uh, the track at 16th and Georgetown. If you are close, come on out. I will be out there all weekend long. I'll be out there. We'll be doing some Facebook Live stuff with uh, Matthew Embry and Twitter. And Man, it's going to be fun. Woo! Thanks for joining us. My name is Tom Marcos El Presidente. Don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. We'll see you next Saturday for the Field of 33, our special that we do every single year. My name is Tom Marquisel, Presidente. We'll be at. We'll be back soon. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.